the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. We've got a lot to cover today. A very important wink upcoming. Very important wink. What you need to know, we'll get to it in just a moment. I'm Ed Martin. You're listening to the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and sign on there for the daily email you get every morning at 8 a.m east coast 5 a.m pacific you can go to the sign up it's called what you need to know the wink and this segment is also called the wink what you need to know so let's talk about what you need to know uh, early excuse me about midday not early about midday on thursday the attorney general of the united states merrick garland came out and addressed the raid on um president trump's mar-a-lago estate now, what you need to know first is the fact that he had to come out and address the media was no surprise, right? The building uh, uh, tension across the country about what happened was demanding a response. What he did instead of coming out and answering questions and talking about it is he filed a, a motion with the court in the uh, Southern District of Florida where Mar-a-Lago is situated. And in that motion, he said, please unseal the affidavit and what's called the property receipt, which is what's left behind when you go um, and take something from a, as you serve a, you serve a, um, a search warrant, the search warrant allows you to take certain things, but when you take them, you have to leave a receipt. So Merrick Carlin was forced to do that, file that motion. So he could limit himself from taking any questions. And he looked very weak. He looked pathetic. He looked broken. He looked like a guy that was walking the plank because effectively his career is over whatever it was before. It's over now. Um, Everything about this whole thing has been poorly done and including now the admission, his admission, which I'm surprised at is that he was aware of the search warrant personally approved it beforehand. Now, what you need to know is, this is a uh, what they call dead man walking, right? This is a guy who is forced to address this. He's been told to address it by the political side. He's been a told, told to address it by uh, Pelosi and Schumer. I would say his resignation will be on the desk of the president. Well, it's probably there now, actually, or at least it's in Ron Klain's desk, the chief of staff to the president, and that he will, by Thanksgiving, he will be a former attorney general, guaranteed. They will make the uh, acting attorney. They may they'll probably slip someone in quickly and get it confirmed before the new uh, Senate comes on board because they don't want to have to deal with that. But or they'll have an acting and they'll worry about that. But what you need to know, is this is a dead man walking. This is a dead man walking. That thing's over. The second what you need to know is a detail you may not have noticed. The White House put out a second statement making the same assertion. And the assertion is Joe Biden, the president, did not know about the search warrant and the search. And he did not know about Merrick Garland's statement, which took place at the podium at the Department of Justice with all the cameras going. Joe Biden knew about only knew about these two 
when they happened. He had no advance warning. This is what the White House said, that Joe Biden had no advance warning that these two things would occur. The search of the former president's house and the seizure, seizure of, of certain boxes. And second, that Merrick Garland would go out and give a statement. Now, what you need to know about this is they're, well, they're lying. What they're saying is that they didn't tell Joe Biden about it, but the White House certainly knew. Remember, the number two at the Department of Justice is Lisa Monaco. She was a, a Obama insider. Her boss for a period of time was Susan Rice, who's now the domestic policy advisor to President Biden. So the the number two or three in the White House beneath the chief of staff, it's really president of the United States. Chief of staff is Ron Klain, national security advisor, domestic policy advisor. Those are sort of the, 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 the rankings. Now, there'll be like a deputy chief of staff for operations. But in terms of power, one group, one person has power over national security. That's a national security advisor. The other the person that has the power over domestic affairs is a, a Susan Rice. So she's the one that would know exactly. She, I'm sure she's the one that said, OK, get him out there. Get Garland out there. But what you need to know is the president is either clueless or they're lying. And if he's clueless on something like this, th- this is just this is I mean, it, it's smoking out what we all think has gone on. But I mean, again, it's kind of the end of the Biden presidency. You're seeing Merrick Garland's career end. You're seeing Joe Biden's career end. He will not recover from this. He will be blamed. Let me me give you an idea of what's going to happen. There will be a red wave in the fall, and it will be blamed. First of all, Trump will claim the wave. He'll say, we were going to get a wave based on Biden being incompetent. And also, he's using the FBI and the Department of Justice to uh, weaponize against his political opponents. He's going to say all that. But the Democrats are also going to blame Biden blame the Department of Justice, and they're going to want to blame Trump. You see, because they're going to be running for president as Democrats as soon as Biden's out, and they're going to have to be taken on Trump. The person who wins a primary for president as a Democrat has to be a rabid anti-Trumper. You see what I mean? So what you need to know right now, again, let me give you three things, three things you need to know. Number one is Merrick Garland's career is over. That's what that press conference he did. It was a pathetic press conference. It was all engineered. You're trying to stop the bleeding. It's not working. He's, he's done. He'll be out of office by Thanksgiving. Number two, it was the end of the Biden administration. It will be used as the excuse for the Democrats to say that's enough. It's time. You know, you got to go. You can't do this. You got to get out of the way. He'll fight against it. But they're going to this is they're going to make try to make this. the end. Let me let me be a little bit uh, contrary to my own opinion there. Biden may hang on. He's going to try to. But I think it's a real blow. And the third what you need to know, the third wink here is that Democrats are going to have to be rabid in favor of this because they're going to want to win the primary. They're going to want to win primaries. They're going to be afraid that if they're not totally anti-Trump, rapidly so, they can't win a primary for president. They can't win Senate primaries. They'll be primary themselves. It's a big deal what happened. It's a big deal. And, you know, one of the things they also, so the old statement is, in, especially in politics, when your opponent is uh, self-destructing, don't do anything. Don't get in the way of it. You haven't seen much more than President Trump acknowledge how corrupt this was and then step back. Let his opponents destroy themselves. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And by the way, 
I don't think we're done with what's gone on here. I think you're going to find more and more. I, I think this was a big, big error, a big mistake in judgment. On the other hand, by the time you're done this process, if you wanted to degrade America's institutions, this is the way to fully degrade the confidence in the FBI. That's been achieved by this terrible thing. All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, we got a lot more. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. That's what you need to know. Visit ProAmericaReport.com to sign up for our daily email. Be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We've had Michael Volpe on before. He does a substack that's called Michael Volpe Investigates. Uh, MichaelVolpe.substack.com. I'll put it up on social media so you can see it. Uh, really good stuff to read there. I was just telling him offline. He sends me a good amount of stuff. I read it all. I don't know. I haven't had him on every time, but he's great on the radio, too. So uh, welcome back, Michael. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Well, one of the things you're welcome. One of the things I've been uh, interested in over the years that I've known you and read your stuff is these moments where you can get show clearly how um, uneven that's a euphemism, I'd say, but let's use it anyway. Uneven courts can be. And I've Mm -hmm. often talked about how the late Phyllis Schlafly wrote a book, Who Killed the American Family, a couple of chapters of which are about how the family courts have really been uh, terrible for families. And and I think that's something that you a perspective you'd share this this um, post you did is this sort of essay analysis you did investigation you did posted over on August 6 on your uh, on your Substack. all court orders are not created equal and the subtitle the haphazard manner in which court orders which court orders are enforced is another reason why there is not administration of justice in our courts this is important and uh, so walk me through what you saw and what the broad point is illustrated by these specifics you found Okay, so let me talk about the broad points. First of all, the way that court orders are actually done is entirely haphazard, meaning the way the judges write court orders is entirely haphazard, which you can see in the post. Second of all, their enforcement of court orders, and I'll remind people it's a court order that's not a suggestion, that's not may, that's shall, and yet the enforcement is haphazard, meaning some people, they'll enforce the court order by the point of a gun, meaning a cop will show up and force you to enforce a court order. Other people, they'll ignore a court order and the judge will say, oh, it's no big deal. And so there, clearly there's no administrative administration of justice if, number one, the way court orders are written is entirely haphazard and the way they're enforced is entirely haphazard. You have total chaos. Uh, we're talking with Michael Volpe, investigative reporter and uh, writer. Is is the problem more uh, common or, or specifically uh, recognized in in the cases of say uh, custody, which is one that you're you do a lot of work in, and, and family court. I mean, because partly the, the country's looking up and watching the national news and and saying, "Huh, looks like the national news." You know, justice doesn't look like that system's working. But you know, specifically the examples you have or you in your piece, I think mm-hmm. illustrate things well. Right. I looked at uh, at custody at least in the uh, in the post. I, criminal court, it's, it's all, there's no question that things are not applied evenly in criminal court. Uh, but it, 
it's less lawless because there's a lot more rules of evidence in criminal court. Uh, in, in child custody, the, it's so much more lawless because the, there's few rules. Those rules aren't followed that often. And I, as I write in the post, even when they write rules, that's what a court order is supposed to be. Sometimes they follow it. Sometimes they don't. Uh, again, we're talking with Michael Volpe. Uh, his uh, his Substack is uh, Michael Volpe, V-O, uh, v- Michael and V-O-L-P-E dot Substack dot com. What's the solution for this? If it's unevenly done um, and, and it's there's clearly, a, a, you know, you illustrate major problems. Well, how do you solve it? I mean, we, we got to have some system, right? Right. Well, yeah, look, uh, if you're in if I ruled the world, at least as far as child custody is concerned, uh, I would take the courts entirely out of it and not give the courts any power in terms of deciding who gets the child when. And you just let the parents argue over it amongst themselves and whatever they decide, that's what they would go with. Uh, that's chaos, but it's chaos within the family, which I think works a lot better than having courts decided. Because as I said, what, what happens is the, the way court orders are written isn't applied fairly, and then the way they're enforced isn't applied fairly. So you have chaos anyway. Uh, that would be my solution. Like the, the second solution is to, to significantly reduce the power the judges have to write court orders because they're already applied haphazardly so and, 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 and executed haphazardly. Um, the, the solution to the application haphazardly is, is difficult because it requires someone to hold a judge accountable for at least a pattern of this. So if, if judges are enforcing court orders in some cases and not enforcing court orders in other cases, and there's no rhyme or reason to why they're doing it, they would need to be held accountable. Sometimes that would be uh, the appeals court, but that's rare. There are these judicial oversight boards. That's even rarer. Uh, elections, it's even rarer. Uh, judges who are elected are, are overwhelmingly reelected all around the country. They usually run unopposed. So we, uh, this would require a structural change that theoretically could happen, but would require all kinds of rule changes and societal changes that wouldn't happen overnight. So it's not a very easy problem to solve. But if you can reduce the amount of power these judges have, then the effect of this haphazard application and enforcement would would be reduced as well. We're talking again, Michael Volpe, uh, investigative journalist, um, writing uh, in our back and forth. You said in the piece that we were looking, we were talking about, which is over at your Substack, there was more that wasn't in that case, and and it, in this case, it was related to transgenderism and and mm-hmm. and, and and the 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 courts' uh, interest may be the wrong word, but uh, but their um, willingness to be involved in these transgender cases and and to be uh, you know kind of taking sides. Uh, uh, tell me specifically about this. Uh, um, this uh, right, let, let me give you that one and then one one that shows the opposite so the case that i was following is this guy kara mikhail bendian who is a transgender man but he's in in reality a woman who identifies as a man he was listed on the birth certificate of this girl he and his ex Kristen haynes have had custody issues for a while it, it was basically done uh without a court order for a while he saw her sometimes I, he has 
gone he's gone to court more over the last six years but earlier this year he refused to bring the girl back and claim that the girl realized that her mom was alienating her from him and so she refused to go back and the court and even though there's a court order that's i don't know exactly when but at some point she was this girl was supposed to go back to her mom and he refused to bring her back saying well now that she realizes she's been alienated she doesn't want to go back the court just allowed it hmm. now last, last year i covered a case it's angela freiner and the, the judge's name is Nicole Zellweger. The judge ordered Angela and her daughter into court. She said, I will bring the marshals if you guys don't show up. She then told this girl, you're going to go live with your father. The girl was secretly recording her and said, but he's a child molester. You're not going to make me go with him, are you? And the judge actually said, there's no evidence he's a child molester. Well, the girl is in court under oath telling you that he's a child molester. That may not be proved, but that is evidence. She forced that girl to go. They actually sent her to a children's hospital in the area, then to some sort of camp before she went to her father. And by the way, by November, I think, of that year, she was then saying she was very great with her father. And she never actually denied that, that he was molesting her. But she said, when, when I said these things in January, I was in a bad place. So, uh, And that often happens when you're in the sole control of someone like a child molester. But that... In that case, the judge forced that girl go to go, even though she's saying, you're going to send me to a child molester. In the other case, this guy just says the girl has realized that she's being alienated and the judge didn't care. And that is a massive difference in the application of, of court orders. It, it's it's it, you know you alluded to it again. We're talking with Michael Volpe, and these these um these these incidents, these examples are are so um, uh, they just bring such contrast. You're like, hey, that this is this system is not the, the system is not uh, being uh, applied evenly, fairly, whatever the word is. But it's just such a hard thing to contemplate how to fix it. I mean, again, who, who, let me say, let me ask a different question: Who's working on this? Do you see state legislators or uh, or activists who are working that are? Succeeding in in trying to change the systems, or are we sort of just, as you point out, you, you get a certain momentum. Elected judges, ele- elected prosecutors, elected you know, uh, or then uh, bureaucrats hired by those people. I mean, it's hard to see how to change the momentum. There, there's actually definitely momentum in changing family court. In fact, in California, where where your broadcast where your program is broadcasted, they have. Uh, I think the law is passed, but if it's not passed, it's definitely going through the state legislature called Peaky's Law, which is P I Q U I. It's named after a girl who died after uh, judges ignored evidence of abuse and forced uh, the girl. I think it was a girl to live with the abuser. Uh, and there are several laws uh, of of a like varying degrees, but similar. Mm-hmm. One is Grayson's Law in Florida, Kira's Law in New York State. Um, those are the two I remember. There's a, there's a few more. Caden's Law, which is out of Pennsylvania. So there are state legislatures who are trying to fix it. And there's a growing number of laws. And there's other state legislatures that are introducing things like bringing jury trials for child custody or if they're trying to terminate your parental rights, if CPS is you'd have a jury trial, which I, I don't think is a, as effective as some people do think. But there are actually a growing number of laws that are trying to change it. So I think there's actually momentum towards it. The, I don't like most of the laws myself, but, you know, that's my opinion. That doesn't mean I'm right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, you know, I don't think 
that this is something that can be fixed overnight. It, it requires a national, number one, it requires for enough people to understand there's a problem. And number two, you have to have a national debate. You have to have a lot of different solutions being suggested. Hmm. People digest them, debate them, and, and then in different states, they pick different solutions, and then you see which one works. It's a you know, it's a decades long problem that would be would be fixed. But I definitely think there's momentum towards it. Yeah, well, I think you're you know, it's such a uh, help to have you uh, digging deep into it and, and writing about it. I and as you say, starting the getting the knowledge uh, growing and then uh, having conversations. So um, thank you for uh, this. And again, it's Michael Volpe, michaelvolpe.substack.com. I'll put it up on social media. Uh, thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. And don't forget, all that will be posted over at ProAmericaReport.com. And I will make sure to uh, put up a link to this uh, so you can forward it to other people, too. So we'll we'll take a break. Be right back. Ed Martin, ProAmerica Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. A few months ago, uh, we had a gentleman on the program, got a great response. A couple of folks that heard that interview said they went out and bought his book. Uh, Dr. Scott Powell, Scott S. Powell, his book is called Rediscovering America, How the National Holidays Tell an Amazing Story About Who We Are. Uh, the book itself stands on its own. But when you see David Horowitz wrote the introduction, you got uh, Victor Davis Hanson had a, a blurb on the book. I mean, lots of stuff. And um, people really uh, enjoyed it. And when Dr. Powell came on the program back then with us, he himself is a businessman, has had a long career in um, well, lots of different things and has a Ph.D. Uh, from uh, uh, Boston University uh, and is a writer now and lots of uh, things going on. We're going to talk about China in a minute, but uh, the book is out from Post Hill Press uh, uh, earlier this year. So welcome back, Dr. Powell. How are you, sir? I am very well. Thank you. You know, you and I were just saying off the air how, first of all, I was saying how the book is good for me because you can read any one chapter. They kind of stand alone. Each of the chapters, you can kind of pop in and out of a book, which is as much as I read and as much as I I do, I like doing that. But uh, tell me how the response has been. I mean, you know, you you wrote the book because you saw something utilizing the national holidays to talk about who we are. Very clever, very smart. But how's the response been to the book? Uh, you know, the response has really been uh, remarkable. I mean, it, it was number one on Amazon for eight straight weeks uh, in the new release category in historical studies. And, and a recurring comment was, that, you know, Scott, you, you wrote not only a, a page turner, but it's really a chapter turner as well that, you know, I, I, I look forward to reading more because the stories in the book, which are all based on fact, you know, have been overlooked by an awful lot of historians. And these are amazing stories uh, that involve, you know, you know, the hand of God intervening, you know, uh, miraculous wow. things that have happened in our history, uh, as, as well as just the display of qualities of character that are unbelievable and that made all the difference uh, in many of the stories the challenging stages that we've been through as a nation. So we're, we're facing a huge challenge today, but by going back into our past, we can, you know, we can get a, get our arms around the qualities of character that can get us through uh, the times in which we're living. So some people have found it to be somewhat of a self-help book as well. Uh, uh, we're talking with Dr. Uh, Scott Powell, Scott S. Powell, as I mentioned, a businessman as well as an author now and, uh, and a commentator. Uh, before we do segue uh, to uh, the, uh, the conversation on China, which I'm interested to do is kind of what caught my eye when we were uh, connecting Um, regarding the book. um, There is a sense 
more and more people, maybe it's maybe it's conservatives, maybe it's MAGA, maybe it's me. But I think I hear from our listeners and, and our Phyllis Schlafly Eagles that the system, the American system, which was meant to be for everybody, imperfect. Right. I mean, there's way, you know, we got to do better on this and that and the other thing. But that the system's kind of rigged, you know, that the system, not kind of it's rigged. And if you're Hillary, it's one thing. If you're Trump, it's another. But even more, if you're January 6th uh, defendant, it's one thing. If you're uh, Antifa, it's another. And those are the dramatic ones. But there is a sense among other people that there's a bunch of people. And I think the left feeds this, by the way, encourages this because we are the best country in the world still, even with all our problems. But when people look up at a, and they look at a book like this, they get excited about what they know our history was. They say, oh, yeah, that's it. I recognize it. But then they look around now and they're bombarded by images that just make them feel terrible. The, the goal of CNN and, frankly, Fox is get you agitated so that you'll sit through a pharmaceutical commercial and come back after the break to to try to <laughs> resolve it. And that that, are, that that seems to me that what the book can help. But the question is, are we being brainwashed too well by media and tech? And, you know, well, that, that we are. But I think that, you know, if people have uh independent critical minds they can see through most of these things what what i say to people always is that the the constitution the 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 system the roadmap of our uh, of our country is extraordinarily unique and there really isn't a better one in the world if if you believe in freedom you believe in and pursuing your dreams uh pursuing opportunity being able to make changes in your life uh, and and have upward mobility, there is no system uh, that comes close to the American system. It isn't perfect, and if the founders had to do it again, I think they would have put in term limits in in everywhere in both houses of the uh, the legislature as as well as, as term limits. Uh, it, we have term limits in the presidency, and that's all. But we really need to have term limits throughout because the system lends itself to corruption. It just does. Uh, and uh, so if, if you have more turnover, you'd have far less uh, corruption and you'd have more focus, you know, on serving the people, which is really the role of government. That's their job yeah. to protect us. Well, and again, uh, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll move off of it because I want to ask you about this, uh, the China situation. But the, the book is Rediscovering America, How the National Holidays Tell an Amazing Story About Who We Are. Um, you know, people need a a, a sort of um, inspiring myth, you know, up by your bootstraps, Horatio Alger, whatever, you know, the a great American uh, liberation of the world in World War II, whatever it is. And uh, going and looking. And, and one of the devious things about the 1619 and CRT is it undercuts that sort of um myth that lets you get excited. I mean, you, you can you could say patriotism is a kind of uh, brainwashing, too, but it's directionally right. It's in the direction that kind of brings us together. So but uh, let me pause. Uh, Dr. Scott Powell is our guest. Again, he's an author that ran businesses, has a great history, story of having traveled the world, uh, almost, I think, 50 countries. Um, just a, it's his whole life has been and also a writer, uh, hundreds of articles all over every newspaper and all. So an observer. Tell me the story that you saw in the China, in the China in uh, North Dakota, and more importantly, again, you've been in business for decades. We're at a point where the American people, and I think business, are willing to, I don't know, decouple from China, break away from China's grasp. Whereas 15 years ago, it was like, well, it's such a big market and we could do some things there. We can make make things cheaper and it'll be better for our economy to be able to buy a $8 uh, a, um, a chair to sit at your kid's soccer game instead of paying $45 if it was made in America. Uh, we've broken from that. And so when you see this story in Grand Forks, North Dakota, you can tell it in a way 
way that I think the people are willing to hear it better. And so walk us through that and give me your thoughts on that. Well, we have to understand that the Chinese have been playing catch up for a long time and uh, they've chosen not to play uh, by, by our rules, fair rules. Uh, respectful rules, but to you know, but but to catch up any way they can, and they have been the the, the you know the largest uh, greatest uh, world power in you, you know in uh, uh, committing espionage and industrial espionage and and you know taking other uh, taking the patents and the you know and the trade secrets of other companies. I mean. Um, the Chinese government hackers have stolen more of our personal and corporate data than all other countries combined. This is what they do. This is almost in their DNA, and it's part of the communist system. We have to understand we had uh, hopes that China would liberalize as they interacted with the West, with us, uh, that they, they too would see why we were so prosperous because we had limited government, because we empowered people, uh, we were successful. We hoped that they would sort of ha- had moved in our direction. Just the opposite has really happened. Under Xi Jinping, uh, China today is more threatening than it's ever been, uh, except during probably the, the years of Mao Zedong. Hmm. And and in fact, you know, they've, you know, Xi Jinping really likens himself to the new Mao. And some of the things they've done, they've increased extra legal detention of political dissidents. They have televised forced confessions. They've increased repression of journalists and all independent religious groups. They've deployed tens of millions of trolls to maintain Chinese propaganda on international social media sites. So people don't even know how they're being influenced because the the numbers are so big. They've deployed more than 300 million surveillance cameras in China with facial recognition. They install spyware on all the smartphones sold in China so they can control uh, their people. The Chinese citizenry are uh, in their mobility and their spending of money is controlled through a social credit scoring system. And by the way, this can come to America. Um, and and they, their military buildup has been extraordinary. They now have the largest army and navy in the world now. And, and they've threatened to use it. They threaten their neighbors. Right. Um, uh, this is a but, country but Scott, that needs to be contained. Uh, but Scott, and we Scott, need to have our guard up. So they established what they did was they took one of their uh, one of their agricultural firms, Fufeng, uh, the Fufeng Group uh, in China. And they decided that that's, you know, Fufeng would be a good vehicle uh, to get inserted in America. We could buy up farmland, but we could also use it for espionage. So Fufeng uh, Group was incorporated in America as Fufeng uh, USA. And they bought land in Grand Forks, North Dakota, about 12 and a half miles from our most advanced Air Force base that, uh, that, that is the home to the uh, U.S. Space Force, to the most advanced drones and the technology associated with drones, uh, you know, the unmanned vehicles that communicate both to satellites as well as to, to, to ground. And so they're in a position to be able to tap into all these uploads and downloads uh, from this location that they've acquired. Now, the big question is, can they go forward with the project? And, and uh, they, they were able to buy the, buy the land. It's about 330 acres without much fanfare early in the year. And uh, then everything sort of uh, people began to wake up uh, in June and there came to be hearings and opposition. And I don't I, I think things have slowed down. 
but the the North Dakota folks, um, it's the people that are, are resisting it. The elites in government, they say, hey, you know, look, uh, it'll create jobs. Uh, maybe we should just let this go. It's they're not going to commit espionage, and that's our biggest enemy. Sometimes is that our you know, sort of moral Christian oriented disposition sort of affects us to extend grace. And if we think that if we're, we think that we want to think well of our opponents. And in the case of the Chinese, we have to really keep our guard up. And there, there's every reason to be fearful that, that if this goes forward, that it will be used as a, as a base of espionage. So the project should be stopped. We, uh, we're uh, talking with uh, Dr. Scott Powell, the author uh, and uh, commentator, and his book is Rediscovering America, How the National Holidays Tell an Amazing Story About Who We Are. Um, do you think that we have the confidence uh, uh, to be strong on this. Maybe it's imagination now that the, the, the public as well as the leaders realize it's not it's not benign at this point. Right. I mean, in some ways, there was a generation, a couple of generations of people that spent their time saying communism in the Soviet Union was anti-American. It was anti-Christian. It was anti-Jewish. It was it required you to be, uh, you know, Soviet communism required America to be subjugated. Chinese communism or, or is the same thing, but there's somehow it, 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 we haven't had the confidence to say that as well. I think we're doing it and doing it now. But do you think it's broad enough, deep enough? Can the business community of which you have been a leader, a CEO of businesses, can, do they have the sense of what's going on to be able to do this? Well, you know, human nature being what it is, you know, people can compartmentalize, they can rationalize. The normalcy bias is, is people's biggest enemy. And you know what that is? The normalcy bias is, is, is it predisposes people to think the way it's been is going to be the way it's going to be in the future. So we have been a free nation. We've had, you know, civil rights and, and, and the freedoms we just take for granted. That's our normalcy bias. And somehow we think that's, that can never be taken away from us. But the Chinese would love to take us down, and they are doing everything they can to do just that. Yeah. And uh, and there's such naive, naivete. I, I think of the the chief operating officer of Fufeng USA, you know, who's in charge of the Grand Forks plant project. You know, he was asked, for instance, why Grand Forks was chosen for the first foray into the U.S. market. And he acknowledged, and this is in his own testimony, that of the 25-odd sites under review, Grand Forks was not an ideal location. But by their calculations, they could make it, they could still make it work economically. Mm -hmm. Now, another person testifying in those city council meetings expressed concern that Chinese people might be brought in to work in the plant in various capacities, including engaging in espionage. Uh, you know, on the Grand Forks Air Force Base. And, and again, Eric Chudarash, the, the, the chief operating officer, was quick to answer that there were no Chinese people working for Fufang, nor would there be in the future. In his testimony, Chudarash also expressed a lack, but he, lacked, he expressed a real lack of understanding about how the, how the CCP controls Chinese right. companies like exactly. Fufang yep. and its American subsidiary. And, and you know, it was observed by someone that off the record, Chudarash was seen in Grand Forks, you know, being accompanied by a couple of native Chinese. And then on the video recording, 
of, of the testimony right before the city council. There are those two Chinese men sitting in the front row off center, you know, which is often a preferred observation place for CCP enforcers. In other words, Chudoresh doesn't even know that he's under control. Yeah. yeah. Wow. All right. Um, Scott Powell, again, thank you uh, for coming on and thank you for your book and for being out there. Uh, Very interesting topics. And uh, we'll have you back again very soon. Okay, I look forward to it. Thanks Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, we'll take a break, everybody. And don't, I'll put up on social media and at proamericareport.com uh, my previous interview with uh, Scott about his book, as well as this one. And uh, we'll, we'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. For many years, Phyllis Schlafly championed the idea of celebrating Independence Day by reading the Declaration of Independence, which, of course, is the foundation of the holiday itself. By reminding ourselves of one of our nation's most important founding documents, we're better able to center our own efforts to preserve the heritage of liberty that our forefathers left behind for us. The average reader can take on the whole document in less than 20 minutes. For 33 years, National Public Radio host Steve Inskeep partook of the annual tradition of reading the Declaration of Independence on the air on Independence Day. This year, he dismantled the tradition in favor of using that time to host a woke discussion on the meaning of equality. Well, Steve is certainly free to celebrate Independence Day however he'd like on his own time. Remember that National Public Radio is funded by our tax dollars. If our government institutions can't even stomach the idea of reading the Declaration of Independence on Independence Day, conservatives should give real pause to the question of what might happen in our nation on July 4th, 2026. On that date, America will officially reach her semiquincentennial, or 250th anniversary. Such an important date should be marked by joyous celebrations, But what can we expect if so many of our leaders don't believe that America is worth celebrating? Will parades and fireworks be replaced with panel discussions about how evil our founding fathers might have been? What monument or memorial might they commission since the left has demonstrated that no statue is safe from being vandalized or destroyed? Even the American flag itself is an offense to some people. An event the size of America's semiquincentennial, 250 years, it requires years of planning beforehand. And this means we must start now. Every vote you cast for the next four years will be for leaders who will decide whether our nation celebrates or mourns on July 4th, 2026. As you pick your candidates, ask yourself who you trust to celebrate America when she reaches her next big milestone birthday. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Whether it's the vision of our founding fathers, the courage of our veterans, the moral compass of Christopher Columbus, or the fortitude of presidents like Lincoln and Reagan, the truth of history should not be undercut by liberal ideology. At Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, we honor history even as we look to the future. Join us at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. i uh, got to wrap things up, and uh, let me wrap it up with a smile. 
you know Jack Posobiec, our friend who is uh, a commentator and now is uh, does uh, human rights daily, uh, human rights, human events daily uh, over on. Um, on social media, dominant guy on social media, does some stuff with Turning Point USA. Um, he's just a great character and a very interesting guy, has a huge history uh, of um, following lots of interesting stuff. Well, Jack Posobic, it's at Jack Posobic on Twitter, and he uh, took what was one of the funniest uh, takes, one of the funniest approaches to General Milley's resignation. There's a new book out, and General Milley um, did a uh, a floated, excuse me, a draft resignation. And it's really flowery over the top. It's kind of silly. You think it's like a send up. Well, Jack Posobiec went one step further and did a dramatic reading of General Milley's uh, resignation letter draft. Really, really funny. Y- you should see it. Um, you have to watch the video I'll put up on social media. He basically says this guy was so dramatic and so emotional and so overwrought. Now, w- one thing I laugh about, it was his draft. He may have just been venting, but it's terribly embarrassing. And Jack Posobiec is so funny uh, when you see the uh, his re- re- uh, rendition of this. So check it out; it'll make you smile. And uh, I don't that Jack that uh, General Milley guy. What a disaster in so many ways. So, all right, thank you as always to our great friend Noah Dingley, the producer of the program, as well as Joanna Spilger, associate producer. Thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. See you tomorrow. On The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.